Ah, greetings everybody and welcome to a podcast with Callum Baird. I'm not really sure what episode we're on because I forgot to check before we started. Not a very intelligent move. But welcome. Uh, welcome along. I'm sorry it's been nearly two weeks since I last did a podcast. Um, there's a couple of reasons for me not doing one. Um, I should say as well that I'm, I'm back on Instagram Live again. I'm doing that. So I'm recording this and streaming it on Instagram for those of you that want to... Um, those of you that want to watch on Instagram... Uh, we've got a couple of folk joining just now. Welcome along. And I should also say before I get stuck in to the podcast, um, I need to apologise to my patrons because what I usually do is I send patrons, um, I send them like a, like a script of what I'm going to be talking about, or not a script, like a synopsis of what I'm going to talk about and I let them, uh, give them the opportunity to ask a couple of questions uh, and then I'll answer the questions in the podcast. But this week... Um, I've kind of doing this bo- the podcast a bit spontaneously. I don't have a script or, or a couple of notes to talk about and I, therefore I don't have a synopsis. I've just decided today I'm going to do the podcast because I've not done it for a couple of weeks. So this week, if you want to ask any questions, um, you've missed the boat, I'm afraid. But if you're watching on Instagram Live and you've got any questions you want to ask, um, go for it. Ask, ask away. Um, don't ask any wank questions like, how do we know gravity is real when we just infer its existence? I really don't want to have to answer a question like that. So please ask intelligent questions if you have to ask a question. If you want to ask a question, please don't ask why the grass is green and the sky is blue. I mean, the sky is blue is quite obvious, actually. It's something to do with the photons in the atmosphere and light. Um, something to do with that. Um, and the reason the sky is red at night is because the photons have got further to travel. And it's something to do with that. I think that's what it is. And our eyes, something to do with our eyes as well. I can't, I can't quite remember. It's been a long time since I did fucking chemistry, lads. So, um, I I do know that there there's a, a scientist, a British scientist. Can't remember his name. And I remember seeing it in one of Brian Cox's documentaries before he went all eugenicists, um, eugenist, eugenicist on us. And he there was a scientist in like the fuck knows when it was during the scientific revolution anyway. And he discovered he 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 wanted to know why the sky was blue during the day and why it was red at night and he had he, he was doing so many different experiments to try and figure this out and what he did was he he took a glass of water like a, a glass clear glass um he didn't have a like a bold bottom on it, it was just a clear glass so there was no way for the light to get bent or anything in the in the glass and he um, he poured like a tiny, tiny little bit of milk into this glass of water, like the tiniest little flick of milk into this glass of water, and he got like a, like a torch, I think it was, and he, he put the he put the torch very up close to the to the water with a with a this sort of like half milk this milky water, and when he had the torch up close to the water, the the, the it went all blue, and then when he pulled it back, it went all red, and he was doing this experiment, and that's how he figured out why the sky was blue during the day and red at night because the sun is closer to the planet during the day which gives us blue photons and it's further away which gives us red photons and I thought I think that's amazing so there you go if you're you're sitting there wondering why the sky is blue during the day and red at night now you know Um, it's to do with the position of the sun boom you learn something new every day don't you Um, so yeah apologies to patrons who would normally be paying to get questions into the podcast this week 
I've just done it a bit spontaneously because I've not done it for a few weeks and uh, I kind of just want to get back into doing it again. So I've not really got a topic to talk about this week. Um, excuse me. I've not really got a set path that we're going to stroll down here. I'm just going to kind of riff away a little bit and talk about what I've been up to in this lockdown. Just sort of chat about the, the whole lockdown situation a little bit as well. Um, and just, I, I don't think I'll talk for very long, just 20 minutes just to keep the podcast rolling over. Um, so if you're joining us on Instagram Live and you've got any questions you want to ask, ask me about anything, about songwriting, about music, about any books I've been reading, about any music I've been listening to, you want to know what I've been listening to, any films I might have been watching, anything like that, just let me know. Um, and again, apologies to patrons who would normally... I'd normally send you a synopsis and you'd get to ask a question about it, but I've not I've not done it because, as I said, I'm just doing this quickly. Uh, well, not quickly, but sort of like, you know, I just woke up today and thought I'm going to do my podcast this afternoon. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so I've got me, got me a cup of tea here and I've really depleted my resources of... So I take honey in my tea and I've gone from having two jars of honey plus a little squeezable thing that I've been filling up the jar of honey with and I've got no honey left and I, I'm pretty sure I only bought honey like last Monday and I've tanned it all in like two fucking what's that less than a week a week literally a week I've tanned two jars of honey and a squeezable tube of honey that shows you how much tea I'm drinking so this tea is pretty shit it's not very sweet it's quite dark um well it's dark I don't know if you can see that in the camera you can just about see that in the camera on Instagram it's 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 not the best cup of tea so I'm, after this I'm gonna go and do a run to Tesco and get myself a decent a decent cup of tea because it's uh, I need one. Um, what's your tea? What's your poison? What's my tea? Uh this the, if you're asking me about my tea bag, John uh, Jolin has just asked me um on, on Instagram. He's asked me what my tea is. I take I usually have Tetley, but um I got given by uh, my girlfriend's. She 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 went out. Her I can't remember. I can't remember. It was just before the lockdown, and they'd gone out and bought a massive box of like Scotch blend tea bags, and they had run out of places to store them. Her and her family. So she gave me. I got given like half a box of Scotch blend. So I'm working my way through that. But I'm normally a Tetley tea bag man. Um, but I'm working my way through Scotch blend. I'll be honest. I can't notice a difference. Um, I drink tea every day, and I can't notice a difference between the two tea bags, even when I like. I've got a little tin and sometimes I'll like be putting my hand in the tin and be looking at my phone and I'll pull out a tea bag and I won't, you know, I'll notice it's a Tetley tea bag and not a Scotch blend tea bag because they're two different tea bags, but I can't taste the difference. But this is a piss cup of tea. I've not got enough honey. I've not put enough milk in it. And it's, 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 I know this sounds stupid, but it's too watery. Like I can tell I'm drinking, I'm not drinking. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the best. I normally let this, the tea bag sit in the cup for a while. Well, I did that this time as well. I normally let the key, tea bag sit in a cup for a while, stew, and then I like add my. So I put my honey in, pour the water on. So I put my put my tea bag in. Put the honey on top of the tea bag. Pour in the water. I let it sit for a bit, and then I stir it thoroughly, obviously, and I wait until I can no longer see the bottom of the cup, so the tea is properly dark. I could no longer see the bottom of the cup. Then I splash in my milk, and then we're away. But I don't know. I I just lack it in honey. I've not got enough honey. Um, I I usually use a teaspoon, but clearly I'm using more than a teaspoon if I'm going through two jars and a squeezy tube of honey in a week. 
Um, either that or I'm having too many cups of tea. Um, so yeah, my tea this week's pretty disappointing. My my cup is always though is is a fucking beast. It's Vladimir Lenin. It's my Melody and Rhythmus cup. It's an absolute peach of a cup. You can't beat a good class conscious cup of tea. However, this cup of tea is is lacking in tea consciousness, which you can beat. There's there's just a little bit. There's just a little bit, like there's a hint in there that, that this could develop into a good cup of tea, but as I say, I'm lacking in honey. But there's just a hint there of oh, teasing me. Um, I've got a question on Instagram Live from Haley. She's asking, "Is lockdown helping you write?" A lot of people seem to be reporting writers block. Um, that's a good question, Haley. Um, I'm not writing as much, but I have started recently started drawing. Um, I've never been much of a of a sketch artist or a painter. Um, I never really had much support for it when I was at school. I could never really keep up with other kids. They were always picking it up quicker than I was. Um, and I've never really managed to do it. But now I've got my own time. I'm able to work on concept. You know, and the thing is at school as well, you were forced to like paint pictures of fucking fruit or a haunted castle or a, a fucking... I don't know, like, just shite that you weren't interested in painting, but you had to do because it was in the curriculum, so just now I'm drawing stuff I want to draw, so I've drawn, like, I've done, like, a couple of piss take cartoons out of Boris Johnson, um, I've done a couple of, um, I've, I, I really like drawing carnations, I, the carnation's probably my favourite flower, um, so I'm really enjoying drawing those in different ways, looking at them from different angles, I did a self-portrait as well, um, which, which, was a bit which was difficult but it's it's turned out better than i thought it would um i need to work a little bit on my on on like my my eyes and nose area but i got the face the shape of my face quite well i think i got my hair quite well um so yeah and and my my latest drawing that i did at the weekend was a it was based on a poster from the the cpgb the communist party of great britain from 1943 and the CPGB position during the war, in, in the first stage of the war, was to oppose it as an imperialist war. And then when the Nazis attacked the Soviet Union, they changed, the position changed to, it was an anti-fascist war. And um, so in 1943, the CPGB position was to increase production of things needed to win the war. Tanks, planes, bullets, guns, etc. Bombs, etc. And... Um, so I I did a I did a I drew a picture uh, the weekend. Well, I started it. I start. I, I took my time with it. I, I did one. I messed it up. They had the mask like I ha- so that it's like a it's a picture of two doctors, and they're sort of facing side on, but I had the mask on the person like as if they were looking straight on. So it just looked stupid. So I had to I rushed that one, and so I, I took my time, went back, and uh, I started again, and so my my picture is based on the CPGB uh, poster. Of, so it's increased production of PPE and ventilators, and I've drawn a couple of doctors wearing the PPE, and I've drawn a ventilator. Um, <clears throat> quite basic. I put it on my Instagram story. I might use it as the thumbnail for this um, this podcast. I usually do use my drawings from during the week as the thumbnail, um, so I might do that. But I've not been writing as much. Um, um, I have thought about it a few times. I, I what I do is I take notes of stuff that like. When I when I'm not sitting when I don't feel like I'm writing a song when I don't feel like writing a song or or 
what I do is I take notes out of stuff that I'm that I'm reading. Um, so if I like a sentence or a, or if I'm watching a TV program and somebody says something that's quite funny or that's quite philosophical, I'll write that down and 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 try and build a song around that. Change the words and make it sound like my own, obviously. But um, try and um, so I've been doing that quite a lot. I've got like a note on my phone that's like just screeds and screeds of different notes and quotes from programs and adverts and books and stuff that I've been working on. So I could, if I was to sit down and properly like make myself, I could write a song. But it, it, I don't know. I, I, I've never done that before. Um, but I, I've not been writing, and I feel like I should, and I want to, as well. I want to write something, but I don't just want to, you know write for the sake of writing because it'll be crap and nobody wants to listen to a crap song and nobody wants to record a crap song or play a crap song so I'm just kind of taking my time with it and whenever I feel like whenever I have a concept for something I'm drawing it these days which is an interesting thing and I don't, I don't know if that it's I think it's just because it's a new thing and I'm and I'm keen to keep practicing drawing because it's a good thing to have get very mindful and very conscious of what you're doing and you know I, when I sit and draw I don't look at my phone for like an hour and a half and then I take my phone out of my pocket and I'm like I'm I'm like I don't want to look at this but I've not looked at it for a few hours so I'm gonna go I've got my phone in my hand now so I'm gonna look at it but I don't miss it when I'm sitting drawing whereas when I'm songwriting sometimes and I'm finding it difficult I'll just drift away into my phone or I'll drift away into playing a game on the PlayStation or reading a book and, and I won't come back to it for a few days and then I, I lose track whereas at the moment I think because it's new to me and um i'm enjoying changing changing up changing up my routine um um i'm drawing um so yeah yeah thanks for the question that was a good question um and answer to you i'm not suffering writer's block you know i'm having ideas for stuff i'm just not turning them into songs or turning them into poems or anything like that so it depends how you um it depends, depends, I mean, that's not real, drawing's not really writer's block, I'm not suffering a creative block, let's say that, um, but I'm not turning out, turning it into songs, um, that's, so maybe I am suffering writer's block, but, yeah. Welcome everybody on Instagram Live, a couple of you coming in, coming out, if you're just joining and you want to ask a, a question on the Instagram Live, feel free. I've just got another one that I'm about to answer in a couple of seconds. Um, I normally send out a synopsis of each podcast to my patrons. I have a Patreon page if you're listening to the recording of this. The Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash Callum Baird songs. I've got four different tiers on there that you can subscribe to and each patron will get a hand-drawn picture by me that I send to you digitally on email. Um, so... Yeah, apologies to patrons who have been paying good money for the last couple of months and have not had a chance to ask a question for this week's podcast. I've just kind of done it. I woke up today and I thought, I'm going to do my podcast today. It's been like two weeks. Today's the day I'm going to do the podcast. So I thought I'll just do a quick, short synopsis podcast. And, and something's been burrowing away at me as well in the back of my head. I watched, um, there's a guy I follow on, on Twitter. Um, his name is Eric Alper. Um, if you've got Twitter, you've probably seen him come up on your timeline because he posts like random pictures of stuff and random little memes and random little quotes that go that go viral. Like he gets like 
he gets like 800 likes per tweet and most of the time it's just a picture of John Lennon in 1970 um, or you know a celebrity for the 1970s um, but he posts every night well night for us he's from Canada so I don't know what time the time of day is there but we get it at like half past one in the morning and he posts like a one minute tip for bands and artists for what to post on social media and he said one of his recommendations one of his tips was to do a podcast and that was I saw that last week and I was like fuck I've not done my podcast in ages um and one of the reasons I've not done it is because I've not really had much to say like you know we're all thinking saying and thinking the same things right now like we're all in lockdown we can't go out we're all um we're all watching the same stuff we're all kind of interacting with each other we're all doing the same we're all speaking to each other on zoom we're all so there's not really much difference in the day it's not in the day or the week or the month you know i'm not sitting down uh i'm not going out to a gig on a friday saturday night and having like a story to tell after that you know or i had this absolute bam at my gig who kept like bumping into folk and was pissing everybody off or i had this great guy at my gig who was getting everybody to sing along with the tunes and and it was a great night you know i've not got those stories or i'm not saying to you oh i've got this gig this weekend and i've not played there for ages so it's been hard to say it's been hard to just do get get going with a podcast and get thinking and and setting up and um I'm doing it and that's the thing as well is like i'm just doing this in my in my house i'm doing this in my room i'm not um i'm not i've not got a studio so for me to do this i need to set up my interface i need to get my get it all set up I need to set up i've changed my setup slightly today i'm using a different mic stand for my um my microphone because i want my little desk stand kept falling over and it was a total pain in the arse um so i've changed i've changed that and uh, yeah and setting it all up takes like it takes a good half an hour to set it up and when you've not really got much to say you've not got much to to add you kind of like you kind of just defer it defer it defer it defer it defer it and to, to the point where like i don't want to do it so i managed to catch myself and be like no like you've not set this podcast up you've not started doing this podcast just because you know you want just because you're after something with it you know i started doing it because i wanted to talk about stuff i wanted to i wanted to just use it when i'm not doing a gig or i'm not got something you know i did it i set it up for the express purpose of when i'm not doing something i'm still putting something out and for me to say oh i've got nothing to talk about i'm not doing the podcast defeats the whole point of why i set up the podcast in the first place so i caught caught myself copped onto myself i saw that eric alper one minute recommendation thing and I thought, yeah, okay, let's do the podcast. Do it for twenty minutes, half an hour, and um, you know, just keep it going. Because a couple of people have asked me about it as well. They've, they've said, oh, I've not seen your podcast for a while, um, or they've asked me questions about the podcast, like why do I do the podcast? How do I do it? What am I trying to? What's my aim and achievement with it? I'm still trying to figure those two things out. You know, what do I consider a good podcast? Um, when I like myself, um, I quite enjoyed the last one I did which was on the Nueva Cancion movement um, in Latin America. So go back and have a listen to that if, you, if, you, if you've got time. I think it's only about an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, it's all about the new Nueva Cancion movement in Latin America in the 1960s, 70s and 80s against like the neoliberal governments in Latin America. <clears throat> and I talk a bit about them and a bit about how they composed their music and the politics of their music. But even though they were political, they were popular and representative of people. And I talk about how that could maybe be relevant for us today, living in the UK. 
So um, have a wee have a wee listen to that if you've got time. I'm going to answer Jolin's question on Instagram. He's asked, "What is my usual songwriting routine?" Jolin, I don't really have one, mate. Um, I've seen myself. I mean, I first started songwriting. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday. Actually, I was out taking my car for a spin, and um, I was playing. I got this CD about. 11 years ago, aye, about 11 years ago, I got the CD in, um, fucking hell, I'm ashamed to say this, in the Sunday Times, <clears throat> it was a No Gallagher Live CD, and he was doing, it was before Oasis had split up, and he was doing acoustic versions of Oasis songs, um, and it was a gig for Teenage Cancer Trust, and um, he, he was basically covering Oasis songs, and... I was listening to that and I was thinking, fuck, this is why, well, that was, the, listening to that is why I bought a guitar, why I got a guitar, why I started playing the guitar in the first place, not just songwriting, playing the guitar in the first place, and then on, on that CD he does a, an amazing cover of There's a Light That Never Goes Out, and, um, when I first heard that song, I was like, this is, so on the CD he, it's him singing Oasis songs, mostly Oasis B-sides, like Fade Away, Listen Up, Sad Song, um, Half the World Away, which was a B-side. Um, it's mostly like Oasis B-sides that he's doing like covers of. Um, it's Good To Be Free, he does those. Um, <coughs> and he, as I'll come on to your question in a minute, man. And he... Um, he does a version he gets Paul Weller on and um the he sings Butterfly Collector and, and Noel Gallagher does the um the back of vocals for that and then he the two of them sing All You Need Is Love, uh, which is an amazing cover of that. Uh, and so further down the C D there's uh Noel Gallagher does a cover of There Is a Light That Never Goes Out. So I, I got the C D in like March, April two thousand and nine. I was about fourteen. Um I'd been listening to Oasis for a for about a year, I'd never really strayed away from Oasis. Like I was into like Oasis, Arctic Monkeys, that Beatles, that sort of stuff. But I'd never strayed away. <clears throat> I'd never strayed away onto something else. Uh, I kind of just kept it to those like that sort of Oasis, Arctic Monkeys, Beatles. There wasn't much getting it, getting through that fucking net. Um, and so I listened to "There Is a Light That Never Goes Out," No Gallagher's cover, and I was like, whoa. This song's amazing, like, is this a new, is this a new Oasis song? Is this some sort of song that I've not heard? Is this some sort of concept song that, that's, like, fucking hell, what the hell's this? And I looked at the back of the CD, and down the right-hand side of the CD, it tells you, like, who wrote each song. And it said next to There Is A Light, that, track 10, There Is A Light Never Goes Out, Morrissey and Marr. I'm like, Morrissey and Marr? Who the fuck are Morrissey and Marr? What the fuck is that all about? So I got out a laptop, Morrissey and Marr, into Google, boom, up comes the Smiths. So I start listening to The Smiths, fall massively in love with The Smiths, massively in love with Johnny Marr, um, and I'm, I'm caught in two, so this is like, I'm caught in two different minds. I started writing songs about 20, I got my first guitar in 2009, I started writing songs in 2010, they were all like really crappy, overly emotional Oasis covers, and um, they were just shit, so I stopped writing, that was about 2010, I stopped writing, then around about 2011, I got myself, or I got, I can't remember if I bought it or if somebody bought it for me, I got a semi-acoustic, 
sort of jazz guitar, very similar to the stuff that Johnny Marr would play with and No Gallagher played with, like this big, it was like um, sunburst colour, it was by Viking I think it was, um, it was a really cool guitar, I played it for about two years, I got quite good at it, quite good at the electric guitar, I, I've still got, an, I inherited and I still have a guitar pedal that came from, that a mate of mine gave me when I was at school and, and, and then just lost contact with him and, and, and he never got it back, I've still got it there. Um, sitting right in my desk buried under a load of papers and so I went from writing these overly emotional really shit Oasis covers basically to trying to write stuff like Johnny Marr um, would write on his guitar but I couldn't sing them so I was writing these like intricate fucking guitarists but I couldn't sing them at the same time and um, so I, I, I tried that for like a year and a half up to about 2013 and then my music taste changed again so I I started listening to Ryan Adams um, an American blues folk country singer who has been involved in various different scandals so you know uh, recently which is quite hard to take because I really loved his music and loved his personality I thought he was a fucking great guy and it turns out he's a bit of a dick well he's a total dick in fact Um. So, um, but I've gotten his music and his music's, well, it's folk country blues in it. So it's got slide guitars, it's got harmonica, it's got really uh, exaggerated vocals, really um, intricate guitar playing, but different to Johnny Marr's intricate guitar playing. It's not got many effects on it. Um, so I, I started writing songs like that. And then listening to Ryan Adams made me think of some Bob Dylan songs I liked. So I started listening to him more again. And then I got back into Neil Young. Um, and and then that's kind of how my music taste developed because I couldn't play the Johnny Marr style and sing at the same time, but I could do the Neil Young, Ryan Adams, Bob Dylan style and do harmonica solos instead of guitar solos. So that's what I started doing. I started writing songs in that style and it stuck and, I, and it worked for me. And when I started writing songs, because cause I was writing songs in like a Johnny Marr style, that meant I was writing them in a Morrissey Smith style. So the, the lyrics didn't match up with the guitar part, like, I didn't have a habit of writing guitar patterns that matched up with the lyrics. So what I started to do, and this is definitely plagiarism, definitely cheating, but I started writing songs to the tunes of other people's songs. So I've got a song called Let Me Know, which I originally wrote to the tune of Don't Think Twice It's Alright by Bob Dylan. And then when I sat down to turn it into a song, I picked a bunch of chords, picked a key, I picked a rhythm that would fit the lyrics that were similar to Don't Think Twice, All Right, fit the rhythm, and I got the song. Um, and I did the same with another song of mine uh, that I wrote in about 2013 called Few and Far Between. I wrote that to the tune of uh, The Needle and the Damage Done by uh, Neil Young. And I just changed, again, I just changed the chords. I changed the key. His song's in D, mine's in C minor. Um, so I just changed the key. <coughs> and um, so that's my, that's kind of my, that's kind of the history of my songwriting, but I don't really have a routine. Like it just kind of, um, I just kind of sit. I don't, I don't have a routine. Like I just, um, and 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 also like over the time, I've added people like Billy Bragg to that to that that group. I've added uh, Phil Oaks to that group, and um, my songwriting's not not changed. Like there's not much difference between Billy Bragg and Bob Dylan and Ryan Adams and Neil Young in the way they, um, oh wow. And the way they um, 
they they write their songs and the the rhythms and the styles and the the, the composition. So I've added that sort of that element to it as well. Um, and you know, people like Woody Guthrie as well. Like sto- like they tell good stories. So trying to write tell a good story in my song is something that is quite important. Um, so I don't have a routine. Like I I don't say. It's not for me, like, sitting down and writing an essay or writing a report or, um, I don't know, stacking a shelf or something. Like, you know, it's a, it's not like a job for me, even though it is a job for me. It's not like a task. It's something that just, um, I'll maybe have an idea for a few lines going through my head. I'll be writing a song in my head. So, I mean, if you want, if you want, the closest thing I've got to routine is I'll have a line in my head. Then I'll try and find something that rhymes with it and then I'll build it from there. And then I'll have a. And then before I know it, I've, so I'll start typing it up on my phone. If it starts getting a bit of traction, like if I, if it's just like you know, cat sat on the mat, I don't fucking bother. But if it's something that's like, oh, I, that's quite a clever line, you know. If I was to hear that in a song, I'd think that was quite good. So start writing it down, and then I get a full song, and then I try and find a tune that would fit, and then I get my guitar out, and I'm like, right, what the hell key is this tune in that I've been singing for the last week? What chords is it? Sorry, my glasses are being a prick. What chord is it? What chords do I need? Do I want to do this in like a Bob Dylan style, a Billy Bragg style, a fucking Neil Young in the Crazy Horse Days style? Like, what what do I want to do with this? Like, what's I've got the tune, I've got the lyrics. So that's maybe like my kind of routine. That's something I've been doing really recently, like in the last year. Um, but I don't have a specific routine. I've been asked a couple more questions. Is that is that an answer for you, Jolin? Let me know if that's good enough or not, man. Um, I've been asked a couple more questions. As he has asked me, are you done with labour or still have hope? Bloody hell. <coughs> Before we go, Haley's just told me she worked for Noel Gallagher, so you can maybe um, email me and tell me a bit about that or drop me a message somewhere and tell me a bit about that. That's quite cool. Um, did you work for Oasis? Did you work for Noel Gallagher? Um, was he a prick? He comes across as a bit of a prick. Um, that's pretty cool. As he's asked me, am I done with labour or do I still have hope? Fucking hell, man. Where do I go with that question? Um, well, it depends what you mean by hope. I assume by hope you mean to still believe we can achieve socialism through the Labour Party. I think that's maybe what you mean. Um, I'm going to say yes, that's what you mean, so I can try and give you an answer. I mean, the long and short of it is yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I think that... There is, I mean, there's no alternative. If you want to build socialism, excuse me, in this country, the Labour Party and its connections to the trade union movement, to the anti-war movement, the equalities movement, the uh, so that's LGBT, women's rights. Um, there's no anti-fascist, the anti-fascist movement, anti-racist movement. There's no, um, there's no, uh, that, you know, I was at Labour Party conference in 2019 just there and walking around you see the third sector charities um up and coming businesses that want to be associated with the labor party all sections of society are required in building socialism not just the left or like a, a militant trade union all sections of it are needed and when you're at labor party conference you see that the those different sort of threads there coming together like you've got like do you know what i mean and there's no other party that has existed that has done that 
the CP looked like it could have done that after the war. Um, uh, that got up to like 150,000 members or 100,000, something like that, between 100,000 and 150,000 members um, across different parts of society. Um, the example of the Red Army fighting fascism obviously played a big role in that, but the CP played a big role in organising workers in the, you know, I talked a bit about how they were increasing production. Um, but there's been no other party than the Labour Party that's come close to having a big representative of the whole of society. Um, and, and I'm not really going to entertain the, the SNP with that. You know, they cut across both classes, the nationalists, as that's what nationalism is, but I'm talking about building socialism. And there's people on the left who are saying that's it, like, Labour's got a... I mean, I don't really know what Keir Starmer is, I don't think he knows what he is, um, but they've got, let's just say, a right-wing leader. <clears throat> and he's right-wing because he's pro-EU, by the way, not because he's subscribed to any particular Blairist idea, that's why he's being described as right-wing, um, which is food for thought in itself. But um, he, he he's a right-wing leader, so people, all the left are saying, that's it, party's over, box that up, move on, let's go and, you know, everybody's saying, oh, let's go and focus on the social movements. Well, there isn't a social movement, like, no offence, and I'm not trying to be depressing or sort of like some sort of liberal, but there isn't one. Um, you know, there isn't one out there. There's there's good social, there's, so there's you know, there's a living rent campaign. There is the um, climate activist campaign, which is maybe close to a social movement, but, you know, the Extinction Rebellion really want to become a movement? I think that's up for debate. Uh but we're we're not really in that phase now. Anyway, we're in a we're in a we're in a pandemic. Like we're not really at the phase of organising a social movement. We're at a survive and let's not die of a virus phase um, of organising. So I, I think it's difficult to really think about how to organise the Labour Party now, because we were in this phase. Like it's really difficult to see. It's really difficult to picture when we're going to be allowed to be in a room with more than two fucking people at the moment let alone when we're going to be able to organise mass meetings, organise big campaigns, orga- you know, organise fucking rallies, organise gigs, organise, um, <clears throat> organise, oh. yeah, I mean, it's difficult to, to, to put into a simple answer, I think that anyone that thinks that we can have socialism without people in the Labour Party being involved are kidding themselves on. I mean, you look at wherever there's been a socialist society and there exists a social society, just because it's been a communist party that's been the, the dominant force in the society doesn't mean that non-communists have had a role in organising society, in organising government, in organising... And that's individuals as well as organisations, and it takes a whole. It takes the society as a whole to to have you know the clues in the name social. You know, it takes all of society to organise a social society, not one section of it. And um, the left as a whole is not. We've seen from the Corbyn project that the left as a whole is not capable of organising on its own. And the right at the moment, obviously, we've seen through this leaked report for the Labour Party that the right is hostile to the left as much as the left is hostile to the right. Um, so there's a long way to go in British society and going away and founding another left party is not going to achieve that. And, um, you know, my particular opinion is that the Communist Party and most of the ultra-left now, but even some of the left in the Labour Party, you know, they want power but they don't want responsibility. 
and um, you know we need to ask ourselves that question and you know the um, I've said to a few people if you've ever seen a car if you've ever seen a dog chasing a car or a van or something like that you ask yourself what the hell would the dog do if it caught that car what would it actually do with the car if it caught it and the Labour Party the Labour left has been chasing a left-wing leader and a left-wing programme since before I was even born and they got it and it kind of looks to me like they didn't really know what to do with it when they got it and that's quite um that's quite sad in a way um and I think there's I think a lot of that was just down to being in opposition for so long um but that's something we need to think about is we the left wanted wanted a left-wing agenda to be front and center for so long wanted a left leader somebody that they, that could sort of capture encapsulate their hopes and dreams and they got that and and it never worked out um and I think we need to have a conversation about why before we can start saying, oh, do we still have hope that Labour can deliver socialism? Because, you know, if we're just going to go back down the route of we have to get a left-wing leader because, and we don't really know what to do with it when we get one, we're just going to end up in the same same place that we already are in. But at the same time, you know, Keir Starmer's been described as right-wing because he's Sir Keir Starmer, uh, on the one hand, um, because he's perceived as being pro-EU, which makes them right-wing somehow. I mean, <clears throat> being pro-EU makes you right-wing, but being anti-EU makes you left-wing. I don't really know how that logic works out. <coughs> um, so, uh, but he's not really committed to any, as far as I can see, he's not committed to any Blairite policies. I mean, the big concern is some of the people he's put in the shadow cabinet, Rachel Reeves, uh, Liz Kendall, uh, Lisa Nandy. I don't, I don't rate them very highly. There's a couple of the, um, you know, Ed Miliband's in there. I, I'm not against Ed Miliband being back in, but is he really a shadow industrial secretary? I mean, did we see that anything in him when he was leader of the Labour Party that suggested he had a good industrial policy? No. Um, Rebecca Long Bailey was doing fantastically in that job, and um, she's been moved to education. I mean, okay, I'm glad she's still in the shadow cabinet, um, but she was she wrote the Labour Party manifesto which Keir Starmer says he's going to keep um she saved the um she stepped in and helped the the Corbyn leadership in 2016 when they all fucked off and left the shadow cabinet and she's been replaced by Ed Miliband too who d- apparently did good work on the climate agreement in 2009 I mean fucking 11 years ago um so you know did we see anything from Miliband that suggested he had a good idea of industrial policy no not really so i want i'm glad he's back in because he has got a bit of charisma about him once he shook off the nonsense that he was people were trying to shoehorn him into in the early 20 early 2010s he got a bit of charisma about him he got a bit of a personality about him and he has been he has been a not he wasn't a participant in the corbyn leadership but he has been a supporter of it and so I'm quite glad that he's back in and I do think he's got something to offer but I don't think industrial strategy is his brief He, I think he would have been good in education um, him and Long Bailey should swap roles personally um, but you know the Labour Party as a whole the Labour Party represents all different sections of society, it represents the left wing of it the right wing of it and the different institutions that go along with that and so if the Labour Party is going to govern that has to govern as a whole and you kind of have people on the left <clears throat> who've been members for five minutes turning up to CLPs and trying to get rid of CLP officers just because of ideology. You can also have right-wing staff trying to undermine the leadership for since 
You know, they started trying to undermine Jeremy Corbyn in June 2015. He wasn't even leader. So you kind of have stuff like that going on. And, um, you know, I think there needs to be a big discussion about across the Labour Party about what the hell they want to achieve with, with, the, with the party. What they're actually trying to do. Um, and so far, I've not been very impressed with Keir Starmer. He's sending out mixed messages saying that we shouldn't criticise the government, we shouldn't question their strategy, we should trust them, and then he's telling key workers that we need to go back to, we can't go back to business as usual when all this is over, which is a pretty stern criticism of the government. So, you know, it's, um, I'm not, I've not been impressed so far. There was some really insipid shite that he put out last week that was like, hark back to the worst days of Miliband, you know, fucking member of the cup with control immigration on it and the set in stone pish. So, you know, and the thing is as well is people know that the Labour Party can do more than that now and he, Starmer can't risk a mass a mass fight with the membership because the Labour Party's got nearly 800,000 members and affiliates which brings in a lot of money and if there's a mass fight with any section of the membership people will fucking leave and there was barely 100,000 members before the Corbyn moment that's including affiliates so there was like something like 130,000 members and affiliates to the Labour Party in 2015 so and they had to get their money by sucking up to absolute pricks in the establishment so um i can't see starmer risking that risking that fight um but at the same time he has appointed some absolute right-wing pillocks to his parliament his shadow cabinet so the, the struggle goes on i suppose it's not called a struggle for nothing for no reason um Bloody hell, that was about 15 minutes I took to answer your question there, Azzy. I hope that's a good answer for you. I'm not really going to go into why I don't appreciate the SNP because I can't be arsed with that. Um, and there's another time and a place for that and it's not It's not really the pod, It's not the podcast. But I'm a member of the Labour Party. <coughs> I'm a member of the trade union. I trade Two trade unions that are affiliated to the Labour Party. I've got a pretty big... I've got a big opinion on how it should work and operate. So... And another thing as well, you know, just on how the left and the right can cooperate with each other. I'm a member of the Musicians' Union. And there's people on the executive committee of the Musicians' Union that I don't think much of politically. I don't think much of... Um, I, yeah, I don't think much of them politically. I don't think they listen to them. They don't ask the membership very often for things. They're asking them quite a lot now in this crisis about how they can help, which is good. But they don't do that more often. Um, and I, I, I do like... That they that you elect they seem to be the only union left in the country that you elect an executive, and they make the decisions. Every other union seems to want to open every single decision out to the membership. You know, if if you're having internal elections that cost money, you're asking members to contribute to them, and they you get elected. The executive makes a decision, not every ten minutes you have a massive fucking poll about what your opinion is. But I do think the, the the union should be asking its members what what they can do to help more often. Um, however, so you know the executive of the the union is we would say right wing, right? Uh, compared to how I am politically, they are a right wing union. But are they being very helpful? Yes. Have they given me financial support in this crisis? Yes. Are they are they putting out round? The, are they every day they put out an email where? Here's a blog you should read if you want to record at home. Here's a blog you should read on how if you want to do a live gig and what you need. Here's a blog you should read on how to maximise your income from streaming sites. Here's a, you know, constantly putting out advice, constantly giving people help. They've not got a particularly big staff team 
they're working round the clock to support the membership. I would, you know, this is this is controversial in the life, but I would take a right wing leadership that's doing stuff like that, that's shown leadership to the members, to the members, helping them, and supporting them, and engaging them, over a left wing leadership that's militant and you know says all the right things, but actually does fuck all. Um, and there's a lot of that in the Labour Party. There's a lot of people who say all the right things that will get in an argument with you on Facebook, that will get in an argument with you on Twitter, uh, will come to the pub and argue with you, but then won't do much more than that apart from start fights. Um, and that's a big... Um, that's the way the Labour movement should be working, is, um, you know, politically I don't have... It, I don't probably don't have much... Per- maybe even personally don't have much in common with the executive committee, members of the executive committee of, of my union but they're supporting me and they're listening to what I've got to say and they're asking for they're asking for help and support in return as well. And that's how it should work. It should be a social um institution rather than a um rather than a you know a union is not a political party and um that that's that's how it should be working. And I think when you can if you can cooperate with you the right wing in your union and you can you can both get stuff from it. Um, why can't we do that in a political party like the Labour Party? I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves as well on the on across the party, not just on the left. The right has an issue with working with other people, massive issue with it. A massive issue with it, and it goes right the way down the the spine of the party, not just um, not just a couple pockets here and there. It's right the way through it. Um. So, and the struggle for socialism in the Labour Party and a socialist agenda in the Labour Party, if we can't get it in there, how are we going to have one in society? You know, the Labour Party cuts across society. It's got all sort of different progressive ideas in it. I mean, you started me on a rant here as a man. Jeez. But it's got all... That's that's basically that. If you want to build a socialist society, you can't do it with just the left. You need to have various different sections of society that subscribe to your programme that, that get on board, that recognise capitalism shit and is going to kill us all, um, either with a pandemic or climate change. And um, this is the... Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the struggle. That's basically it. Um, but, I mean, who that's largely irrelevant because China's going to be the dominant political economic force in this, on this planet in about five years' time, so it's largely irrelevant. Um, anyway, I think I'm going to... Oh, question completely answered. Yeah, it's a headache, man. Yeah. Anyway, I think I'm going to wrap up there because I said I was only going to do 20 minutes, half an hour. We're at 40, we're going on 47 minutes. I need to go to Tesco and get some honey because my cups of tea are shit. Um, I'm needing some other stuff. I need to get out. It's quite nice weather-wise outside. So a nice wee stroll in the sun would be quite pleasurable. Um, So I hope you're all taking care of yourselves out there. Um, if you're listening to this recording, if you're watching this on Instagram Live, I hope you're looking after yourselves and, and um, your friends and family or whoever you're living with right now. Um, if you're living on your own, I hope you're not um, isolating yourself too much. You, there are ways to try and connect. And if you want to if you want to um, get in touch with me, or, or just give me a shout, man, or woman. You know, I'm happy to talk and have a chat, have a virtual pint if you want. Um, and um, yeah. Thank you to my patrons who've been subscribing and supporting me, who have uh, supported this podcast. 
Uh, thank you to the Musicians Union for their financial support. Thank you to Help Musicians UK for their financial support. And thank you also to Creative Scotland who are giving me money as well. Um, thank you for their financial support uh, through this time. And, you know, it's a big reminder, to all these different institutions helping, is a big reminder that, you know, there is such a thing in society and any Tory right-wing hack that tells you there isn't can go and fuck themselves. So, yeah, look after yourselves. I'll be back with you maybe next week talking about po- politics and culture again. And, uh, aye, all the best. Thank you. <laughs>